So we are live and back for Handle with Care on Air, episode three. This is Ellie Castine. And this is Jess Fracolosi. And we are excited to do a follow-up to last week's event. We did um, a evening at the Rockwell Theater, and it was in honor of National Recovery Month. And we were just so excited about the enthusiasm and the turnout. We showed the HBO docu documentary, Warning, This Drug May Kill You. And it's a very intense, powerful movie. So we then were able to spend the second hour processing what was seen with a panel of um, a variety of people that work in the field um, doing substance abuse treatment and mental health treatment. And so it was just, I think, a really rewarding night. Yeah, it came out really well. Um, the turnout was strong and I mean we, we we're we're hoping to have more people so we've learned our lesson last time we had a sold out booked up space but then a couple probably at a 50% turnout rate but it made for a really intimate evening and the layout of the space thank you to the Rockwell and Davis Square for letting us use it the layout of the space was really um just conducive to having it be an intimate night where we, you and I got to meet everybody before they walked in. We got to, you know, shake everybody's hand or give them a high five or just say hi. And that like an initial connection, I felt like, um, helped a lot. And Definitely. then it made me feel more comfortable being talking in front of these people to know that, Hey, okay, I met you out front, um, about such a serious and real topic, but that's the feedback that I got that it was real and it felt like a safe space. So that's my, the thing that I'm most proud of, I think. For sure. And I think what to add to that, what I really am grateful for and excited about is that we had people drawn to the event for all different reasons from all walks of life and with all different experiences with um, addiction, substance abuse, and mental health. And hearing from people that, like I said, came for so many different reasons that everyone walked away having gotten something out of it, um, I think is really cool. That yeah. it didn't just, you know, it wasn't just people that knew really nothing about it or it weren't just people that were in recovery themselves or people that were affected um, being close family members and things like that. So it's nice to know that, you know, everyone, it was meaningful for everyone in one way or another. Yeah, for sure. So um, that brings us back to our podcast here today, and we are really excited to have our next guest, which who is Kristen Finch. Um, she and I are good friends from the University of Virginia, and we were college roommates at one point in about a 10 by 10 room, so we got to know each other pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, but she came to mind because she has been on her own journey. And it's been really amazing to see um, her resilience as she's tackled some of the issues that we've mentioned. And so without further ado, welcome, Kristen. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> we, Thank you. Kristen is actually in Nashville, so we are Google hanging out with her. <laughs> um, so this is a bit Learning new. how this is working. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Kristen, maybe the best way to start would really just be to hear from you. What kind of mental health means to you broadly? Sure. So to me, um, mental health is your internal emotional well-being. So how, um, how you as a person, me as a person, is functioning on the inside, not just physically, but um, mind, body, spirit, all kind of connecting as one. And um, 
I think growing up, you're used to going to the doctor and getting physicals and being aware of when you're sick, um, physically, like a cold, flu, whatever. But you're not really taught about what healthy mental health looks like. And um, so, yeah, for me, it's connecting with my emotional framework. Awesome. Um, I think that's a really great point, thinking about how we raise kids and what we teach them. Um, so I guess on a more personal level, what um, if you could maybe talk through what allowed you to take hold of your mental health and realize, okay, I haven't been taught how to deal with this, mm-hmm. but clearly something needs to be done. Sure. So, um, you know, as a kid, I was raised in a family that was very close knit, um, very high achieving, um, well functioning. And, um, I grew up with a mom who I knew didn't drink and it was never something that, um, was really talked about except for my mom doesn't drink. It wasn't, she's an alcoholic or she's sober. That language wasn't really used. Um, And then, so talking with us about safe alcohol use was never um, necessarily part of our teenage years. Um, And as somebody who's a people pleaser, I very early on learned how to hide things that I didn't think people would accept. Um, So as a teenager, what that looked like is hiding things that I knew my parents wouldn't accept. And that was uh, alcohol use. And um, I then transition to college where alcohol use is rampant and it's everywhere, especially the university of Virginia. It's work hard, play hard, um, work harder, play harder. And that was how people released tension and stress built up throughout the week at a high achieving school. So, um, for me, I, uh, very quickly realized that I could drink more and had a high tolerance for alcohol and, um, and really didn't know how to have a social life without it. And college is a place that that kind of hides well. Um, especially within not everyone's college experience. This is something I've learned post-college that not everybody's college experience is like this. Mine was. And um, so what seemed normal to me at the time of heavy drinking, um, kind of having a social life surrounded by that and defined by that became abnormal when I graduated, moved to a new city and realized that the behaviors that I um, had developed from teenage years onto young adult years were n- abnormal and not, um, they were, I was functioning, but I was functioning in a space that was um, very unhealthy and, and physically um, debilitating at certain points. Thank you. That's really helpful to that framework. Um, and so I guess to dig a little deeper, if it's okay, then thinking through you're in this new city, you're realizing that kind of what you've known socially no longer, um, it isn't as much of a norm, I guess you could say. And I think you shed a lot of light on 
some of our issues with college campuses, UVA is certainly not alone on that front. And like you said, although many people can go through college and have that not be their experience, I also think that far too many do go through. And um, Or if you go to school, like I went to Northeastern and a lot of people, including myself, stuck around after college. So I think that you, you almost, I mean, I could be wrong, but maybe <clears throat> by moving to a new city that sort of shed light on it a lot quicker because you didn't have this safety net to fall back into. Or if you guys had remained in the same town or even a handful of people that you had established mm -hmm. those habits with, then you can continue that. And all of a sudden you're in your mid twenties, you know, you're in your late twenties and then, um, you know, you don't realize it because nothing has changed that much. So I think about Boston is sort of taking a little bit, maybe in the cities in general, taking a little bit longer into <laughs> to, to realize yeah. those bad habits than if you were to leave campus and get a stark contrast. That is exactly right. And I think, you know, I, I very clearly and intentionally chose to not move to a city um, that was going to be with groups of our friends from school. And I honestly think that subconsciously, I knew that I needed to differentiate myself. And I think whether I understood or not that that meant changing some of my behaviors, um, I don't think consciously I recognized that that would be a result of taking myself out of a situation, but it was. And I think if I had moved to a city with a bunch of people that I knew, it would have gotten much, much worse. And um, would have I wouldn't be where I am today, I don't think. Yeah. And I think that um, speaks to this fine line of having support while also realizing the relationships that perhaps aren't supportive and perhaps are enabling. Um, mm -hmm. I have a question that maybe listeners would also be asking is, um, when did you know or what behaviors were happening when you realized that um, your habits weren't just normal, normal as I do. Mm -hmm. That word doesn't really mean anything, but for what you thought, like what kids your age were consuming, how did, what, what happened? How did you realize that maybe it was a problem? Yeah. So when I, I realized it was a problem when I could not sleep at night without drinking. And so it ended up being that I would be drinking alone. Um, I was living alone at the time and um, I had just moved out of a house with a couple of um, women and friends. Um, but I could not dr fall asleep without drinking. And, um, and so the drinking became something I did alone and that had not been the case prior. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that was a really scary thing. And, and I remember Kelly was living in Baltimore at the time, but I, I had this like probably four month period where I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I was scared to face it. And so Ellie was living in Baltimore getting her master's at the time. And I remember one night after we'd been out and I'd been drinking and I finally had the courage to say something to her and was like, I think I have a problem and I don't really know what to do. And, um, and just naming it to somebody that had known me so closely. And Ellie was really somebody who I felt, um, a, Ellie, you are somebody who I feel a um, deep emotional connection with that was very unique to our college experience in that, um, you know, we had a, an individual relationship within a group. And, um, and I think oftentimes, you know, in college, you can 
lack that. And so I felt very emotionally connected to Ellie and very safe to tell her this. And um, that was the summer of 2012. Yeah. And so, and then October um, following, so from summer of 2012 to October 2012, I, um, or is it 2013? 2013. I kind of went in and out of this conscious, you know, my family had talked to my parents had uh, found hidden bottles in my room. And this, I had moved home at a certain point um, from Nashville, trying to figure out, I kept my apartment in Nashville, trying to figure out what what was I going to do? Uh, my parents didn't know I was moving home because I knew that I needed to face something. They just thought I was trying to figure out. I was in between an internship and trying to find a job. And um, and so it's a few points my parents had found, like liquor bottles in my room. Um, they had found me passed out. And, and that sounds really scary, but when you enter the rooms of AA, you realize, oh, my gosh, alcoholic behaviors are – really strangely familiar and what's abnormal now looking at it is very normal. Like the hiding, the deceit, the um, covering up, uh, the behaviors that come. So anyway, I moved back to Nashville. I got a job and um, I showed up hungover to work one day, October 2013. And I was like, I just had this overall, you know, to kind of reference an AA thing, there's like a spiritual awakening and I, I really did. And, um, I'm a faithful person and I had this, just something come over me and I emailed my mom and said, I need help. And, um, and my family came into Nashville. My parents came in. I, I kind of like to joke that I staged my own intervention. Um, but I guess I really did in a way. I had I had been seeing a therapist for about a year, but had lot, kind of been lying the whole time. I've been talking around things, but not really about me and digging deeper. And so um, my parents came in. We all met with my therapist. And, um, you know, I had just gotten this new job. And to kind of keep me in a familiar structure and context, which is very important for me, I stayed in the job and did outpatient recovery work. Um, so yeah, so that was October, 2013 and I didn't, and, uh, stay sober until January, 2014. Is that right? You, yeah. Cause you're yeah. Gone, um, that right? going on four years. No, five years. So it would be, so 2012 and then 2013 is when is my like recovery date. Um, so sorry, this, you know, they just all run together, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so four or five years. I mean, yeah, that is great. an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and you're right. What you said is like support um is huge and um finding a safe and uh support group is really crucial and I think what I realized is that you know, I'm I'm very extroverted. You have always had a lot of friends. Um, but no one really knew me. And I think that's probably why I felt drawn to Ellie because I felt like Ellie knew me and I, um, and she's really, um, I, I hate to say this because I had a lot of wonderful friends at UVA, but I think Ellie truly knew who I was the whole time through a lot of masks that I was wearing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so my support network, I realized, um, became really s- small 
And that was the first time that I had to be like, okay, there is a quality of person over a quantity of friendship. And that's crucial to have sustainable recovery. That's a great point. I like that. And I think that makes a lot of sense for you, especially Kristen, because you can walk into a room of hundreds of people and talk to every single person and every single person talking to you would leave being like, wow, she is awesome. She's great. Like that makes me want to die inside. Mm -hmm. Um, but, (laughs) But so I think that figuring out how to, you know, nurture those things that you enjoy on the one hand, you know, such as is being social and extroverted in that way, while also nurturing what you may need, which may be a little bit different. So how did you manage the, yeah, the social interactions following deciding to stop drinking? What was that like? Like, what were the biggest hurdles? When did it start getting easier? Is it still not that easy? Well, so you heard me say that it took me from October to January to stay sober. Um, So through that period of time, I was learning, oh my gosh, I don't know how to have a social life without alcohol. And um, and so in January of um, 2013, I my whole social world kind of became revolved around recovery. So I would go to AA, I go to support groups, I go to therapy. Um, and I, that kind of became my social life and, and, and I had a full-time job. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it took me a very long time to find, um, who I really was because like Ellie said, you're right. I could walk into a room and talk to anybody, but part of me had to differentiate what was a mask and what was really me. Mm-hmm. And, um, that took me a long time. Um, I remember the first wedding I went to sober, which is one of Ellie and I's mutual friends. Ellie was there. And I don't think I, I had been somebody in college who like was on the dance floor at any party for hours and hours and hours. And I did not get on the dance floor there. I don't, I didn't know how to dance sober. I didn't know how to interact soberly. Um, I didn't know how to, you know, avoid the people carrying trays of champagne around and just say no. Um, but I did, and I was awkward, but to me, I mean, probably, you know, nobody else, everyone probably just thought, oh, Kristen's being kind of quiet. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, um, I had to remove myself from a lot of context to rebuild my foundation. Mm-hmm. And now that you feel that foundation is rebuilt, are you, how do you, you know, are weddings a lot easier? Is it, is it a it's not a thing anymore. You feel they like- are. Yes. I mean, it's not a thing anymore. It's, um, I feel like who I truly am and who I truly was made to be, um, and feel very confident in my skin. And, um, yeah. And so even my own wedding, I got married, um, last year, last September, and even my own wedding, it was very strange to not drink and to like the photographer want to take a picture of us, like, you know, doing the little, like you, uh, pull, you give each other a sip of champagne or whatever. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. I'll put water, <laughs> you know? Um, and then doing the first dance. I mean, it's like, it's just, you it's a part of our culture. It yeah. is. And so to not be a part of that, you have to, uh, you're just more aware of what you're not a part of, I guess. Yes. You can see the social constructs from farther away, whereas everybody else kind of just steps into them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely more normalized to drink than to not drink, I think. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the hardest part? You know, again, you've got a few years under your belt. I know that's something that is a big part of recovery, though, is in some ways that you're never really safe. You know, mm-hmm. you're, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. Um, what do you find, you know, a few years in, what is your biggest challenge at this point? Yeah. Um, so part of recovery work is that it's um, recovery, not recovered. And um, I think recovery for me right now is looking like how do I um, release control over my current um situation in my current life and how that's turned up for me is entering into a marriage and becoming a stepmom and how do I um, be flexible because when I started recovery previous to that I was I would not have called myself controlling or rigid um, or really structured and then once I entered recovery that was kind of how I survived and so I had um, just you know had control over my sobriety, but what I didn't realize is that like, you know, step one is admitting you're powerless. And so for me, being powerless over being um, a perfectionist in what I'm doing is kind of my current journey. And I think every stage of your life, you can re-go through the steps and they can be applied. Um, I'm referencing the 12 steps here, but they can be applied to every part of your life. Anybody who's not even not in recovery from substance abuse. I mean, it's um, admitting you're powerless, being able to accept where you are and accept people for as they are and just stay in your own lane. That's my current journey. Yeah. So to kind of, you know, being cognizant of time here, thinking through um, how you kind of tie all this together with mental health, how do you see these pieces fitting together between your recovery and mental health and your day-to-day life? Sure. Um, Great question. I think there was always something that I was aware of that was not really right around my behaviors. And I think being able to be in touch and listen to that voice inside of you that's saying like, pay attention and take note and talk about this. Don't ignore it. Um, Share. Find help. Um, that to me is a healthy mental state of mind is, um, checking in, listening and talking about it. You know, secrecy fuels the flame. And for me, that was my biggest issue was this very living a double life. And when I start to, um, not talk about things and hide things is, is when I fall into, uh, I can fall into a trap. So, um, to tie it back into mental health, I think, um, being cognizant of how you're feeling on a day-to-day basis, um, and listening to it and taking note and being aware of patterns that may pop up maybe seasonally, um, maybe around stress around job, uh, family, whatever, holidays, huge stressful uh, time of year, huge stressful time of the year. But I think just being in touch um, and being quiet and taking time to listen. 
to yourself. Awesome. Um, okay, we're gonna, um, final question here. Um, first of all, this has been awesome. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you guys. Um, how do you celebrate your recovery? I celebrate my recovery by sharing it. And I, um, it brought me to my current journey, which is I'm in a graduate counseling program. And um, it is celebrated as I talk about my story in class. And um, I just celebrate joy in being who I am and um, honoring the fact that my relationships, everybody knows the true me and knows that recovery is a part of my journey. And um, yeah, so I think sharing it, talking about it, living it, and um, finding an occupation that fits it well. That's how I have been celebrating it so far. Great. Any like kind of final message or words of wisdom or anything you'd like to leave everybody with? Um, just kind of a quick takeaway. <laughs> yeah, so many, but um, I think be honest with yourself. Um, find a safe person that you can trust, that you can say reach out for help when you do and ask for help when you need it. Um, and be wary of secrets and be wary of what behaviors have developed in secrecy and take note. Um, yeah. And know that fear is okay. It's scary to change and it's scary to do something that's with outside of the norm, but huge growth happens and you, um, oftentimes people say they become a different person, but I found that I've become the person I was always meant to be. Um, and that person is beautiful. And so anybody struggling should know that they have somebody inside that's waiting to just show themselves. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, Kristen, thank you so much. I know it's been such a treat for me to be alongside your journey. Um, mm -hmm. and, Jess and I both um, are so grateful that you were willing to continue to celebrate your recovery here with us. Um, to wrap up, we have some exciting things in the works. Um, at the end of, to continue our support of recovery and those um, who are fighting the battle themselves or supporting others, we will be, the Handle with Care will be participating in the Shatterproof uh, 5K run and walk at the end of October. We've got a team together that link is going to be up on the Handle with Care website, so you can sign up there. It's um, is it free to register? It's free if you're walking. Um, if you want to run to get your little time bib, it is twenty five dollars. But the goal is really for participation. We're hoping to have a good turnout, and so um, we're really looking forward to it, and hope that you will join us. And if you haven't checked out Shatterproof, they're a really awesome organization that does a lot to destigmatize de um, addiction, and they have all kinds of amazing resources on there, whether it's related to um, support or policy, wide variety. So definitely check them out. And stay tuned for more. We will talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.